This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello and welcome back to your weekly podcast into England's past. I'm Charles Rowe. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to stay up to date with new episodes every Thursday. Now, this week we're joined by two gardeners leading a major project to revamp Belsay Hall, Castle and Gardens in Northumberland. We have John Watkins, who heads up the English Heritage Gardening and Landscape team. And we also have landscape designer Dan Pearson, who's also a writer, broadcaster, lecturer and previous award winner at the Chelsea Flower Show. Uh, Thanks to both of you for coming on the podcast. It's our pleasure. So, John, let's start with you first of all. I think it's important to point out why we're doing the interview. So can you tell me about your role overseeing this project? Yes, well, as as head of gardens and landscape at English Heritage, I get involved with developing and guiding many of our large garden projects. It's wonderful to have the opportunity to really get involved with Belsay because English Heritage took over Belsay in the 1980s and undertook a sort of major restoration then. And more than 30 years later, it's ready for another look at because plants grow, they age and mature. And shrubberies generally have a a life cycle of about 30 years. So it's um, ready for another look at. And so it's a great opportunity to revive this wonderful landscape and garden. So Dan, let's talk now about your role in the project. Can you tell me a bit more about what you're doing with John? So John approached me to come and work on the Belsay project a couple of years ago now. And I'm a landscape designer and the gardens have got to a certain point in their lifespan. What happens is that things grow into each other. Plants are lost that are hidden in the shade of another one. And something that's been maintained will often need to have quite a radical change to breathe new life into it. And John asked me because I'm a landscape designer with a good plant background. And one of my strengths is that I'm a plantsman and a landscape designer. So I'm combining my skills three-dimensionally with space with good plantsmanship. And our practice is known for that and also known as well for its naturalistic approach to landscape and planting design. So I'm very interested in understanding the sense of place that's particular to somewhere. And then through understanding that, doing what's appropriate for that place in terms of making it sing again and bringing out the aspects of that place which are particular to it. So the planting is always a very interesting way of doing that because plants are very particular to place. And at Belsay, we have these wonderful old gardens that have become elderly and they need a new layer inserted. So John thought I'd be a good person for the job. And I think for me, it's an incredibly exciting thing to be working on because there are some fantastic bones from previous ages in the gardens and this opportunity of really enjoying good plantsmanship because the garden was always a plantsman's garden and so we are not being told that there are any barriers really with the planting we're just being asked to do something that feels appropriate and something that 
really enjoys the fact that we've got these different habitats at Belsay to plant. What's the name of the project? Has it got a code name or anything like that? <laughs> it's Belsay Wakes because as a garden has got overgrown, it's perhaps gone a, a little to sleep. And so this project is waking it all up. And also actually sort of shout out about Belsay because it is such a great place. Both the gardens, the landscape, the hall and the castle and the wonderful landscape walks around there. It's really quite a uh, unique environment and, and it's something that we believe uh, we should be shouting about. How is the project Belsay Awakes being funded then? And that's a question for you, John. We're very fortunate in that Belsay has support from a number of funders, including the National Heritage Lottery Fund, which is one of our uh, major donors supporting this project. And why is the project necessary? You talked a little bit about how you wanted to revive the gardens, bring them up to date a little bit. But is there any other reason? What would you say about that, Dan? A garden will, just through its very nature, it's a constantly changing thing. Gardens are never static and they shouldn't be static because the joy is that they're changing and evolving. And even with the best will in the world, a garden will often evolve beyond the dream that the person that designed that planting had originally. Because, for instance, there might be a particular magnolia which is doing really well and because it's doing so well, other plants underneath it might start to suffer, but the magnolia is king. And all the detail underneath that was there when the magnolia was smaller might be shaded out. The root competition will mean that those things don't do as well. And over the 30 years or so that that magnolia has become king, the things underneath have dwindled and are beginning to let the side down. So what you need to do at that point is say, okay, this tree has obviously now the thing that's most important. What can we do to adjust the planting at its base? to something that will grow in that shade with that amount of root competition, but still be just as joyful and bring a new layer into that planting that was beginning to look tired. So it's very much a restoration. It's a nice word, I think, that, because it suggests that there's a dialogue you're having with the place. It's a conversation with the place and you're taking some things away and putting some things back and listening to the place and doing your best for it. So it's a caring process. It's a process of nurturing it back into life through careful judgment and sometimes quite judicious removal. So it's not always easy because you do have to take things away which you might not want to simply because there are too many things in one space and you have to make the judgment. Is it the magnolia or is it the anchianthus? And those things are judgments which we've made when we went first to see the site a year and a half ago. And the gardener now and his team have removed the things that we saw to be less important, rejuvenated the ground, so new compost, opened up spaces for new planting, and now our new plants are ready to go in to start to plug those gaps. So it's this really interesting process of working into a place quite gently and delicately, but not without being afraid to break some eggs. I can sense you wanting to chime in there, John. Yes, well, elements of the garden have become a little senescent, but also as part of this project, there's other major works going on. We're re-roofing Belsay Hall, which is a sort of mammoth piece of work, and that's part of this project. And down by the castle, 
where previously visitors have seen a number of buildings there with sort of blocked up windows and particularly the coach house that's being opened out windows are going back and that's been made into a new cafe so after visitors have made the walk right the way through there they can have a cup of tea before their journey back but also we want to put things in there it's going to be great for families so there's going to be lots of new interpretation in the castle itself and then behind the coach house we're developing a very sort of special new play area that links to the history of Belsay and I think it's going to be one of our most dramatic play areas of all of our sites so that's going to be great for families once this opens. Focusing back on your work with Dan and doing the gardening and with with the team there how did you approach Dan to get involved? Well the reason we chose to work with Dan is because Belsay is such a fantastic plantsman's garden with fantastic plants from all over the world and particularly the Himalayas and and Asia we needed help from a really sort of top plantsman with really good botanical experience that would be able to help us revive the planting at Belsay and retain the unique character that Belsay is and we were delighted that Dan was happy to work with us you know we're on a very exciting journey with him and we're just at the stage now when plants are starting to go in what do we mean by plantsmanship dan is that kind of your style and what you'd sort of bring to the project well plantsmanship it's about understanding plants well so knowing what grows somewhere and what the place offers in terms of opportunity for the plants if you have a good plant knowledge you have it's like a language you have many more opportunities at your fingertips and I trained at Wisley and then I spent some time at the Edinburgh Botanic Gardens which is particularly interesting for Belsa of course because it's that far north and then I was at Kew for three years on the deployment there and that really has set me up for understanding my plant material well so I consider myself to be good with plants hence the good plantsmanship and at Belsay, you can't just go into a place like that, which is well known for its good plantsmanship and use a standard palette because the garden is offering this opportunity really of there being something that much more special. And that's what we're wanting to do at Belsay is to breathe this new special life into this already fantastic bone structure that exists from the previous eras. Speaking of the new life that you'd like to breathe into the landscape and the gardens there, can you give me a few highlights and maybe pick out a few colours as well or textures that would really stand out once the garden has been planted and and starts to take shape and mature? I can. Um, There's a whole wealth of things. It's incredibly exciting putting these planting plants together because I've really been able to enjoy a wealth of plant material because we've got all these different conditions at Belsay. We've got a whole woodland where we've got the opportunity for a whole range of wonderful woodland plants such as trilliums, which are these North American woodlanders which will love the conditions up there, and lilies. And then we've got an area called the Magnolia Terraces and the Mediterranean Banks where we've been able to enjoy things like cistus, aromatic herbs. And on the terraces at the front, the areas which are very formal really, I've started to use things which I think are sort of fairly unusual still, but definitely garden-worthy things that have proved themselves in gardens, such as Heptacodium mycanoides, 
a fairly recently introduced small Chinese tree which has this incredible sort of honey-coloured bark and very late flowering white flowers, myriads of flowers on these horizontal branches. So it's a plant which will be beautiful in the winter with this flaking pale, pale honey-coloured bark and then really good at the end of the summer when most gardens are beginning to look tired, it really comes into its own. So I've put several of those through this terrace to form this wonderful canopy that you look down on from the upper levels and then underneath that I've got really special woodland things which will enjoy the shade those heptacodiums are going to cast. So pulmonarias and erythroniums and then out in the sun brilliant coloured nearines which are South African bulb which comes very late in October, November to really stretch the season as long as it possibly can be so that autumn visitors will have this wealth of brilliant bubblegum pink colour on that terrace um, to sort of send them off into winter. So it's really been a wonderful opportunity and we've got some absolute treasures going in there which will be good to look at, we hope, year round. Yes, tell us a bit more about that because obviously we have this current coronavirus situation. How is that affecting the work taking place there? John, if you want to jump in. Well, it couldn't have actually happened at a worst time because the shutdown came just as we were having major deliveries of plants to Belsay. And with the shutdown, we've had to ensure that both our visitors are safe and all our staff are safe. The, the site is now closed. And we've reduced our staffing in the garden so that all our staff can work safely and they can work independently, which means we've got a, about a, a third of our garden team there. And so what we were going to rush to get it uh, um, done in, in about two to three weeks is going to take us about three times that amount. And we've had one major delivery and it will take us about three weeks to get those plants in. And then we're, we're working with the nurseries who are being very patient with us. Then we're going to get a number of smaller deliveries. And then each week, the garden team will carefully get those plants planted as they arrive. It'll take us much longer to get the plants in because we've got a lot fewer people there. So our primary care is making sure all our staff are safe and then making sure that we get the plants in, keep our plants watered. With all of our gardens, our priority is making sure that we maintain our plant collections. So all of our sites, we're down to sort of skeleton staff, which is quite a challenge in itself. But we're very fortunate to have really dedicated teams of, of gardeners. What about you, Dan? How's it affecting your work on the project? I'm stuck in Somerset. So the planting is going to be done over a much longer period and I'm going to be responding to photographs that are sent through from the gardener there and we'll do it remotely. So this is the first time that's ever happened to me and I do feel for the guys because they've been planning for this project for a long time. All the ground is beautifully prepped and the plants are waiting to go in. It's spring, they need to be in the ground. But where there's a will, there's a way and I'm sure we'll manage to make it work. So on a practical day-to-day -day level, how many people from this skeleton crew would be working on site, albeit with good distances between them? I presume we're talking about a small number here, John? It'll be a maximum of three people on site at any one time in different parts of the garden as well. Some of our very large plants, they're in large containers that need two or three people to get them into place. 
we're asking the nurseries to look after those plants until we're out of this sort of danger period. But what we're able to do, our head gardener will be placing out the plants where he wants them placed. And he's keeping in close phone contact with Dan, who's uh, sent much more detailed designs in that John Hawley, our head gardener, can follow. And then the garden team are then planting the plants, but they'll be well spaced out much more than two metres apart. So, you know, we're being extremely cautious because we want to make sure that all our staff are 110% safe. That's what's most important. When visitors perhaps come back and visit our sites, they'll have to be a bit patient because our gardens will look a bit more overgrown than they would normally be. But we're working to make sure we don't lose any of our collections because that's our major priority. I'm sure they'll still be impressed once they come across uh, whatever you've created. When did the actual work start then originally? Well, we've been working on the project for a number of years and all, all our projects do take sort of many years to develop because we undertake more historical research to see if we can find out more about the site that we didn't know. We also undertake detailed surveys, geological, architectural surveys, botanical surveys and ecological surveys because we mustn't forget that all of our sites are also important for wildlife. One of the wonderful things for visitors to look out for at Belsay, of course, are the red squirrels. And we believe at the end of this, it'll be an even better habitat for, um, for them as well. Oh, nice to know there'll be some uh, colour in the fauna. Uh, what, what about the flora, though, Dan? Can you give us a flavour of some of the colours that will be popping out at various times of year? Well, because I'm a naturalistic gardener and planting designer i'm choosing things which are very close to the species so we're not choosing things which have a cacophony of color for instance so if i'm using rhododendrons we're using species rhododendrons that tend to have more elegant slightly more finely tuned flowers than a rhododendron for, for instance that'll cover itself in bloom and the colors tend to be quite dilute because of that but not without their impact so i'm using bright orange turks cap lilies for instance lilies with these wonderful reflexed petals that have brightly spotted interiors and you know amazing saffron colored anthers and then i'm using common areas which have sort of blood reds and pinks and then we're planting one space the magnolia walk for instance with plants which are nearly all predominantly white so we have white hydrangeas and spears of white veronicastrum at all late flowering summer flowering perennial with these spears of white flower so that you move between spaces and the colors change as you move the white and the green for instance being a really nice palette cleanser between the brighter color on the terraces those bubblegum pink nearings and then the cool interiors of the hall woodland where we've got very specialist plants which you sort of have to go and find the colour because most of that planting within the whole woodland is foliage pattern and texture and colour. So greens and browns and greys and different coloured foliage that delights the eye as much as flowers do. It sounds like there's going to be a lot to look at and a lot of sensory enjoyment for people and also the smells can you give me an idea of some of the smells that people might be able to enjoy as they walk around when it's all done? The springtime smells will definitely be the magnolias. They will be in flower kind of now, mid to late April. And then I think one of the things which is probably quite unexpected 
is the Magnolia Walk with the Mediterranean banks behind. And we've used quite a few aromatic plants along that bank, things which have scented flowers, such as the osmanthus, these wonderful Chinese shrubs, which are very heavily evergreen, but with these beautiful white, tiny flowers, which are very, very heavily scented. And then, of course, along those Mediterranean banks, we have the aromatic herbs such as the cistus, which exude this wonderful spicy fragrance from the herbs when the leaves are basking in sunshine. So you'll walk along that walk that leads beside them and on a still sunny day have this perfume which will transport you probably somewhere completely else, somewhere Mediterranean. And then of course you go into the hall woodland and we've got a much sort of cooler, greener smell in there with the amount of vegetation and leaf mould underfoot. So there are lots of sensory delights here and um, changes of pace for the senses as well as you move from one place to another. It sounds like a really attractive international space. It's almost like you can travel through various parts of the world in terms of horticulture as you visit Belsay, even though it's in Northumberland in the, in the northeast of England. You've got a lot for people to enjoy, but is there a lot for children to enjoy as well as they, as they come with their parents or grandparents? What would you say about that, John? Yes, well, in many ways, because we'll be as well as a children's playground that I mentioned, which will be very exciting, both for adults and children. We will have various sort of routes for families to follow and specialist tours, self-guided tours they can make, because there's an awful lot to see there. And what we want to do is to encourage families to, to actually discover what is there. And, you know, the opportunity to sort of walk through a Himalayan jungle in Northumberland is quite a unique experience in itself. But then there's all sorts of other things to look out for on the quarry walls. There are engravings on the walls that record some of the family dogs and elsewhere. There's little bits like that to look out for, as well as wildlife, both birds and frogs and newts. Well, that's good to know. That's good to know. How long will the overall project take now, bearing in mind the current circumstances? Well, the garden project is planned to take three years. And I think Garden Project will st still take three years, except we won't get quite as much done in the first year as we had originally planned. So some of that will move into the autumn. So it, it's slowed things up. And, and also the work on the house will be delayed because quite a lot of the building work builders will have to work very close to each other, which of course is, is, is unsuitable at the present time. How do you think the overall visitor experience will be enhanced when things bed in and it starts feeling a bit more mature? I think the word I would use would be rich. It will be a much richer experience. The whole design of the garden has a whole range of very distinct character areas. And in emphasising these distinct character areas, I think the visitor will feel they've had a much, much richer garden visit. And hopefully, and I'm sure, they'll want to come back to see it at different times. Because the wonderful thing about gardens is they're constantly changing, particularly in spring. You know, if you came every day you would see something different because things are changing so rapidly. And actually, where we're so lucky at Belsay already, we have a lot of English Heritage members who come regularly and enjoy seeing the garden change with the seasons. And I think they'll enjoy seeing even more richer collection of plants displayed in, in wonderful ways. Because the thing about gardens is planting them is the start of the process. 
and we're lucky to have a fantastic team of gardeners led by our head gardener, John Hawley. Their role is, in a way, is to be continually painting that picture that is the garden and keeping that going. And, and on our garden sites where we work with designers, we continue that relationship between the designer and the head gardener so they both see it the garden through each other's eyes because a garden is continually being remade through its maintenance and to dan lastly what are you most excited about when working on this project um, albeit remotely at the moment i think it's always interesting to work in a team and so much of this is about good collaboration and the gardeners there are such an important part of why a garden is successful And there's a great team of gardeners at Belsey and they will bring this new layer into life and keep it nurtured. And for me, that's an extremely good feeling because you go into a site, you understand it, you interrogate the site, you then do your plans and put the plants in, but often you have to walk away and then just leave it and trust that it's going to be fine. But here I know that those plants are going to be nurtured and well looked after. So for me, what I'm imagining this garden to be in five 10 years time I believe will come into life without a hitch despite our current circumstances you've been listening to the English Heritage Podcast to find out more about the transformation project at Belsay Hall Castle and Gardens head to the English Heritage website next week we'll be celebrating the launch of the Beagle which later carried Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution by natural selection. I think it was the first time he'd ever left Britain and he travelled around the world and it took five years, so it was a big one. Thanks for listening. See you next time.